and welcome to this episode of the Postural Restoration Podcast. We are here this morning with a very uh, special guest that we're excited to talk with today. Jessica Tidswell is DPT, physical therapist, athletic trainer, duly credentialed, and also a PRT through our institute. And Jess, welcome today. It's exciting to have you. I know I've looked forward to this. I kind of threw it upon you pretty quickly and and you graciously accepted. So thanks again for joining us. Thanks, RJ. I'm honored to be here. Jess, uh, as I mentioned here shortly ago, and and I hope you don't mind, I I always refer to you as Jess, and sorry if that's not your preference, but Jess, uh, we'll walk through a little bit of your history. Um, As I mentioned to you, it's always kind of helpful to to know where your roots are, where you come from, some of the schools that people can identify with and associate with. But Jess, uh, your undergraduate degree was completed through Montana State, so you kind of had the for our listeners, Jess is located in Salt Lake City with the University of Utah currently, um, but you've done a little bit of moving around throughout your your education history. You know, your, your undergraduate at Montana State and then matriculated to uh, Duke University for your DPT and then completed your DPT and went back for athletic training and, and now are back at Salt Lake. But Jess, just walk us through maybe uh, a little bit of your history not necessarily undergraduate, but maybe what what got your mindset on the field of physical therapy initially, and then, um, you know, eventually what led you to enrollment at Duke and your time at Duke, and then we'll move on to kind of how you circled back to where you are today and, and with athletic training, but just maybe recall some of some of the decisions and how you got to the field of physical therapy in general and some of the influences you had that that got you there. Sure. Thanks, RJ. So I'm currently, as you mentioned, uh, at home, uh, sitting in Park City, Utah, but I was originally, I was born in, ra- born in Rhode Island and raised in sort of upstate rural New York and was a ski racer. And so I ski raced mostly in Vermont, and that is actually what took me to Montana State because I was a collegiate alpine ski racer. But I, before I got to college, I was on the sort of elite circuit, and I skied into a tree and broke my pelvis, which ended up uh, ended my elite career, unfortunately. And I, I actually worked with an athletic trainer at my high school, which was Burke Mountain Academy, which is one of the ski racing high schools. And he was wonderful. And I was supposed to be not all the, everybody who's listening to this is going to cringe, but I was supposed to be non-weight bearing for eight weeks. And I ended up, you know, skiing at six and competing in the world junior championships at eight. Uh, Right. (laughs) And so I, I, I always wanted to be an athletic trainer. And when I was at Montana State, I was a varsity athlete, so I couldn't be an athletic trainer. I was like, okay, I'm going to be a physical therapist. That's, you know, the same thing. And, and great, I'm going to be a physical therapist. So that uh, led me down the path of wanting to be a physical therapist. And I studied under some, you know, did my observation hours and worked as a PT aide when I was in Bozeman. And then that led me to apply to schools, you know, kind of around the country and um, ended up in Durham at Duke and um, you know, had got a wonderful education there, ended up getting my DPT by accident. Um, I applied to all master's programs and Duke just happened to be transitioning. And I was, you know, in the first DPT class there. 
and special shout out to Lisa Mangino, who was a third year when I was a first year there. So yeah, that was going to be my next question. If, (laughs) if any of your, you didn't even know of PRI at the time, but, but some of the PRI um, family, you know, within the Duke organization, I guess, uh, had to be there around the same time as you. Yep. She was, so she was, um, you know, she had graduated with her master's, but was, you know, they said, Hey, if you want to stick around and, and do a transition year and get your DBT. And so she was a third year who we of course were like, wow, you guys are so amazing. Help us out. And there was a small group. I believe it was nine of them that were there and were awesome, just humans and helping us um, in our first year at, at, at Duke. So special hello to her. So that's sort of how I, I found my path to, to physical therapy. And really, as you said, you, you, you kind of, uh, we don't want to say you were forced into physical therapy, but at the time as an athlete at Montana State, you know, you, you couldn't really necessarily complete the athletic training side mm. of things. So that, that will explain later in the story, <laughs> uh, your desire to then complete, you know, your athletic training uh, degree and, and circle back to that program. Jess, at, after, after you went through that um, DPT program, and as you mentioned, they transitioned from a master's, that was probably around the same time that the DPT, you know, the doctorate programs across the country were all kind of doing the same. It, it probably was around that same time that, you know, all these schools were making that transition. But uh, after you came out of that program, did you have any, you know, idea? Obviously, you were a competitive skier. We'll talk about some of your history with skiing and in general, but obviously it started as as an athlete yourself and as an alpine skier and, and elite athlete until your injury. But did you have any idea of how you wanted to practice physical therapy? Were you, you wanted to get back into skiing or, or what did you want to do with that, you know, following your time at Duke? Well, I was always drawn to athletics and I had this idea that I wanted to work with skiing because I had dedicated 18 years of my life to being a competitive skier. And I had, I was very, very lucky in that one of my clinical experiences, or we call them residencies during my time at Duke happened to be uh, the 2002 in Salt Lake city which as um, Olympic historians and Paralympic historians will say, oh, wait a second, that was during the Olympics and Paralympics. And so I spent five months in Salt Lake City during the games and was able to be a volunteer for the Paralympics. So I was up on the hill, I I used my vacation and I, I was up on the hill for about 10 days and was able to volunteer and make connections. I met my now husband there. And I also met some of the coaches with the national team. So I made connections and you know, they, they talk about in school or in business, you know, have that elevator speech ready, right? So if you're going up the, in the elevator with a doctor, you can case with them. Or if you meet your, your dream employer, you can say, hi, I'm Jess, and this is who I am. And you should really hire me, those type of things. Well, I had my elevator speech on a chairlift with a then assistant coach for the U.S. and it was called the U.S. Disabled Ski Team then. I said, hi, I'm Jess. And do you have a physical therapist for your team? He's like, no, why are you one? I said, no, but I will be in May. <laughs> and here's my card. 
And of course it was some, something I had printed on my printer and you know, you, they're perforated and you tear them out. I just said my name and my phone number, and my email. And it was slightly moist or wet because yeah, right. you're, you're you know, on the mountain. Yeah. Bent and folded, but you know, I thought it was professional at the time. Well, fast forward, I, I graduated from PT school and I, I found a job at a, at a clinic, a sports med type clinic in Rhode Island. And I, it was great. And I worked there for a year. And a year later, I get a call from this same coach that said, hi, remember me? I'm now the head coach and, and I want to make a job for you. Can you move to Park City, Utah? We want you to be the, the physical therapist for our team. So, you know, and for a massive pay cut, can you come be the manager and the physical, <laughs> the manager and the physical therapist and a, an assistant and a strength coach and a, you know, everything. Would you, how would you like to move to Park City? And I said, when do I need to be there? Yeah. So like, yes. I'm like, Sign okay, you know, here we come. So that's sort of, well, and that's, um, that worked. it's interesting. And, and I'm glad I'm not glad, but I, it's, it's, uh, again, interesting to hear of your, at least one year stint with kind of a clinical setting. I'm so used to, I'm so used to asking people about their first clinical experience or, you know, again, right out of school, where did you end up? Well, for you, you're so unique in the fact that, you know, your involvement with these uh, different organizations and, and teams and uh, in this case, the Paralympics and, and again, your long history with them that we'll get into uh, throughout this discussion, but you really didn't have that typical clinical, you know, background or experience. And that's what's so cool as our guest today and who you are, because there's not a whole lot of people like you and like that who get out of school and immediately, you know, like you said, you wanted to return to skiing and athletics and these things, but how do you do that without some sort of like, you know, university setting or um, again in a clinic, but uh, for that to work out was just such a great start. It seems like for, for opening these doors in your, in your history and your career. So it turns out that, you know, we should all have that elevator speech on <laughs> hand, in your case, a ski lift. Right. Um, so you moved to Park City, you know, fulfilled that role of these multiple duties with the Paralympics and walk us through, I guess that would be a good segue into kind of how you continue that involvement. I'm not sure, Jess, again, I apologize for filling in some of these gaps, but how long you were in that role with, with them and then how you kind of evolved from that. But walk us through what happened, you know, from that opportunity. Sure, so I think it was around Labor Day. Uh, that would have been 2003, I think. I, I might be getting my date wrong, dates wrong. No, no worries. <laughs> it's been a minute. But so Labor Day, we, uh, you know, moved, I moved it, we moved out and we're in Salt Lake City area. And, you know, then, Oh yeah, got married in October in Rhode Island. So that was convenient to move across the country. And then nine days later, I, after getting married, I left with the team to go to Europe. Uh, so there wasn't really a honeymoon in the cards. Uh, then, you didn't take him with you? <laughs> oh, hey, we're married, yay, this is awesome. Bye honey, gotta go to yeah. Europe. Um, <laughs> luckily he's been involved with the, with ski racing. He was on the national team, uh, for New Zealand as a skier and, and worked, obviously he w was working at the Olympics and Paralympics. So he understood, um, I found a keeper, but so I worked with them for a year and then 
actually left the team and worked in a clinic, a regular clinical setting again, because um, I needed to support him in going to helicopter school. So did that for, for two years and then went back to the team because that's really what I wanted to be doing, but needed to make a touch more money. And how, how awesome for them to allow you to do what you needed to do for your family and then to still have the door open for you. Right. Um, was the clinical setting, so you, that was all in Park, that, uh, in the Park City? Lake, so. In the Salt Lake area, yeah, and in a sort of outpatient orthopedic. I was sort of a little bit like trying to just find something so I could support my family and then went back again to the, then they had changed the name to US Adaptive Ski Team, went back, worked with them for another year while I was in, had at the same time returned to get a second bachelor's in athletic training. So I was working and traveling with the adaptive program, getting a second bachelor's in athletic training where I was then also working with football and yeah. other things. I'm not quite sure how I did it. I, I don't think I slept a whole lot, but. You can look back at it, <laughs> and it done. better than probably, you know, maybe it's a little bit scary for you to even recall this stuff. Like, okay, I don't need to recall all this stressful uh, mm. times, but. Um, Had just a wonderfully supportive husband and yeah, was not so randomly assigned to football because I was, you know, licensed therapist. Uh, I had been practicing for six years. <laughs> so. Well, and for, I guess for those of our listeners that are just kind of you know, getting up to speed on you and, and your history, as we mentioned, you know, you received your DPT and then now we're discussing your return to schooling to receive your um, athletic training degree. And, you know, we started off by saying that's really where your heart was even before physical therapy school. Uh, but walk us through, you know, at the time you're supporting your family, you're kind of moved into more of a clinical role. What what gave you the motivation, if you will, to to finally go through the athletic training program? Obviously, support from your husband, but was there was there people involved or mentors within the athletic training program there that allowed you to make that transition more easily, or did you just kind of have to jump in and put your foot in the door? So, as I mentioned earlier, I had a wonderful athletic trainer that I worked with when I had my pelvic fracture and that injury. Um, his name is Bill Knowles, and he was our athletic trainer in our high school for a very long time. And now I, he, he runs an academy, like he's involved in soccer, but he's rehabbed a lot of professional athletes. And I think he still, you know, he still does soccer and rugby and golf and all kinds of people. And he was just he's an incredible human and so talented. And I, you know, I just kind of always wanted to be like him. And because my injury, I worked with an athletic trainer and not a physical therapist. That to me was who worked with athletes. Right. And are there a lot of very talented physical therapists who work with athletes? Absolutely. But for me, I, I just felt that the athletic training, the knowledge, the extra knowledge athletic trainers have and the return to sport and that was, I just, you know, people said, hey, why don't you take the SCS exam or the become a, you know, sports clinical specialist through the ABTA? I did that too. However, I really wanted that knowledge and I really wanted to secure that, you know, make sure that I could work with athletes for the rest of my life. Yeah. And if it meant going back to school and doing 
all these clinical experiences with sports teams. I mean, is it a lot of work to work with Division I football as a, an athletic training student? Absolutely. But is it worth every minute of it? Absolutely. Well, and also as, a, as the physical therapist at the same time. So you're, you know, you're amazing for the different hats you wear. And especially, you know, today as we get into later on your, your role as an assistant professor for the University of Utah. And, and I'm sure you, as you refer to it as the U and, and as we'll refer to it. But, you know, you can look back at it and say, you know, it's, it's definitely where you were meant to be and, and the cards fell how they did. As you worked through that, that bachelor's program and getting your degree in athletic training, working with football, again, at the same time, you're fulfilling the role of, like, were you using your DPT at all during that time? throughout athletic training school and throughout that program, uh, you were assigned a sport as a, as a graduate athletic training student, but then did they also utilize? So I wasn't a graduate athletic training student. Right. I was undergrad. Yeah. But right? then you're so also being utilized for your DPT degree. Correct. So, <laughs> so I had the, you know, like they were doing, sometimes I would stay in during practice and I would do the rehabs, right. Because I could, cause I had a license as a PT, yeah. but I was, very much treated just like my 18, you know, 19, 20 year old colleagues carrying the water, cleaning the tables, doing yeah. all those things. Um, there was no special treatment that way. I, I did, I was lucky in my quote senior year as an athletic training student, mind you, I was in my thirties, but I, that was the year I traveled. I was assigned football the whole time. And that was the sugar bowl year for the Utes where awesome. we, were able to defeat Alabama in the Sugar Bowl. So that was pretty phenomenal year. And a, a good we year were, to be a part of things. We were undefeated. And yeah, that was a pretty it, it, incredible. That was an incredible experience. Um, but, you know, so yes, I was able, to, I was still using my skills. And I was also working at the time for the U.S. Adaptive Ski Team. Right. So I was traveling with them. I was, you know, designing programs. I was, you know, doing everything I was doing for them. And still and still right yeah. right and i i only had to do four semesters instead of eight because some of my credits from my uh, exercise science degree from montana state and you know having a dbt i didn't have to take certain credits so Thank, thankfully yeah. right i did still have to take intro to exercise science though a refresher i have no <laughs> idea why well uh, yeah as as someone who was using it for at that time probably close to eight years you know, right, into right. the field. Right. Um, well, it's, it's fun to kind of, I almost, I almost wish I could have on uh, one of your classmates from that time in your life. Like, how did it feel, <laughs> you know, having a classmate who was also a licensed physical therapy therapist, uh, had been in the field for a handful of years and, you know, going through the program with you. Uh, what a blessing to, to your, to your classmates and, people around you to have have the knowledge that they did and you you know it's funny because we got along really really well um we hung out outside of class and i i asked one of my colleagues right now was he he just recently came back to join the faculty and i asked him recently i said did you have any idea that i was helping them and that we studied it he's like oh yeah we totally knew but we loved it we loved that you were helping them and that you were, you know, doing, we didn't cheat on exams. Like we didn't do that, but like no, I would, you were just a resource. You know. And I work, I literally still studied so hard because that's just ingrained in me. 
And so I'd like fill out this chart for them and I'd share it with them all because they maybe hadn't learned to study the same way or whatever. And I'd share what I would do. And they're like, oh yeah, we totally knew, but you guys were such a good class and they were learning. So we didn't care. We thought it was great. Yeah. How cool. Um, so I want to kind of transition into, you know, again, after you received your athletic training degree, um, were you asked to stay on as you know, part of the athletic department, where did your career take you after receiving your ATC? No, so I was, you know, working with, uh, working with the adaptive program then, 2008, and then around that time, I, they opened what's called the Center of Excellence for the US, US Ski and Snowboard. And it's a, it's a gorgeous training facility in, in Park City. And I, I'm maybe mixing up the dates, but anyway, so I became the, they call it the resident, I think it's called something else now, but the resident athletic trainer and physical therapist, meaning in-house. Not For this in excellence center, this newly yeah, created. Not, meaning in-house, not in training, right? Yeah. So, so then I, I worked there. Um, with all of the various teams that are affiliated with the organization. So like moguls and aerials and cross country and snowboard and alpine and I'm missing some slope style and freestyle and you, you name it. Anybody. But that your days of football and university sports were for right. yeah, the no, large was, portion ended when you moved back into, you know, winter, winter. Absolutely sports right. Too. I was back in the winter sports world and up. In fact, when I went to the sugar bowl, uh, because it was in January, I was up working for the ski team and took time off to go to the Sugar Bowl because I graduated in, in December. So I was, you know, with that, I think that center opened in May, so I could have my timing a little off. Um, I think I was still working with the, the adaptive group that winter. Yeah. And then once that winter was over, the 2009, the Center of Excellence opened in May of 2009. So I transitioned into that center and was the in house. Um, athletic trainer and physical therapist there. So anybody who was, you know, we had physical therapists and athletic trainers working there so that if pe folks got hurt, they could just come and, you know, that people would train there and work out there. It's a, I mean, 75,000 square foot training floor, I believe. Sorry, Crazy. folks at US. <laughs> Sorry yeah. if I'm getting it wrong, folks, but it's a gorgeous center. Well, and, you know, for, for kind of our timeline here, this to me seems like kind of the doorway into, you know, more of your professional career working with the U S ski team. Yep. And so once, I guess, once you started in-house at this uh, excellence center, how did that matriculate into more involvement with the U S ski team? Alp down, I think it was with mostly Alpine that you ended up with. No, this is, this is honestly working with everyone and, but this is sort of more transitioning into the performance piece because there was a really a big, a collaboration. Uh, it was a high performance team model and with this massive sort of picture and open area and our rehab area was kind of in one section, but it opened into this massive training floor where we worked really closely with the strength and conditioning staff and you know we're collaborating and and working back and forth and so that sort of opened the opened the door but we were just you know lots of collaboration and working yeah, together and overlap in this, and mm -hmm, in this high performance model yep, yep 
And well, and how, how unique to go from collegiate football. I mean, you, you, ha- you had both of them overlapping. That's why you're such a cool hybrid. You never really had just collegiate football or just, you know, ski team or just this or just that. But what a different world to go from the university setting with college athletes to then this high performance, you know, center for various ski teams and snowboarding and things like that. Uh, it had to be kind of a, at first, at least, it had to be a little bit of a shift for you. I'm sure it became a little bit more normal as, as you got going, but you've never really just fulfilled one group of athletes. It's always been kind of all, you know, all of it at once, which is so cool. Yeah. Jess, so as we get into kind of your relationship and, and your start to the interest in our science and um, your involvement with PRI, we talked a little bit about um, uh, another, you know, PRI family member, uh, Jody Remmel, who kind of introduced you to our techniques and our concepts um, throughout the years, but was your relationship with her and and how you met and, and got to know her, was that through this same, um, same group, the same excellence, you know, in-house as you were working with the ski team there? Was she also overlapping? So I overlap i first met jody probably the first time i worked with the ski team in 2003 or four the very first time and that was like a few centers a few training facilities ago before before this new yeah excellence existed um and she yeah she's a wonderful um physio so we had established a friendship she was traveling with women's alpine for many, many years and is just very, very talented and passionate. And so we had established a friendship then and just kept in touch, but I don't, you know, and she had kind of told me about PRI and, Hey, I've taken these courses. And then she was, you know, not around the center, but her husband was the director of the Alpine program. So she'd pop in and out and, Hey, Jess, how's it going? And Hey, you gotta, you gotta check out these courses and, and the vision and the, all these different things she'd tell me about. I'm like, okay, Jody, yeah, yeah, I'm busy. You know, I believe you. I trust you hundred percent. I just don't have time. <laughs> I just, Oh my gosh, I'm going in 17 directions. And eventually, you know, after the ski team, I, I worked privately for, um, a, one individual for a couple years. And then it was like, we're on the road and I, I have, you know, multiple roles with him then I had my own clinic for a couple of years. And finally, she's like, Jess, I, I saw her at a, a literally an AT convention. And she puts me up against the wall and has me <laughs> wall supported reach. And she's like, okay, now put your back against the wall. Now bend up, now breathe. And I'm like, Jody, I, my body, no, I can't, my body does not move this way. And she guides me through it and she's coaching me and she's, and she's like, oh, you're a PEC and you're diaphragm and you're the, all these terms. And I'm going, um, one more time in English. Yeah. What? And she's like, Jess, can you feel like, how do you feel? What are you feeling? Find, feel, sense. Like, and my mind exploded. And she's like, Jess, I've been telling you. And I was like, Jody, I know you've been telling me, but right. I went home that day and I signed up for the first, you know, milekin. Well, and <laughs> walk us, you know, it's not, you're definitely not alone in that feeling because we often, you know, I often at least tell people, you know, in order to really even want to put your foot in the door, you have to have like a, 
you know, sometimes you just have to, we tell people sense and feel kind of what you were walking us through is like, sense this, feel this, reach here. But until you feel, I mean, do you remember like what that switch was for you? I mean, did you, did you get off the wall and like, you know, move differently, sense differently? What, what was it about that activity that she walked through with you that finally said, okay, there's something here? Well, first of all, I mean, I didn't know what I was feeling, but I was feeling, you know, my posterior metastinum. I was my, my, I mean, now I can use it in all the right language. Right. But I was feeling my, my, um, IOs and TAs, but I, literally like as a skier, as you know, being in a PEC pattern forever being all these things. And I, I was breathing. She taught me how to PRI breathe. And I got up from that and I was like, whoa, she's like, how do you feel? Go walk around. And I was like, Jody, I can't explain it. I don't know. I, yeah. just, and I, I don't know how I feel, but I feel, whoa, I'm like relaxed. I feel like I could run. And I'm, I have literally been told by my orthopedic surgeon, I can no longer run unless I'm being chased. So I literally, I'm like, Jody, I don't, I don't know. She's like, Jess, literally let's go to a course. And it just made me so curious of what was going on, what is going on. And so, and I, she's, as Neil said in, in the last podcast, there are people that tell you to take a course and you don't even need to know what, like you just trust them. And I, I literally went home and logged on. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, in your case, I mean, let's just, you know, call it what it, you were a little stubborn at first. You didn't have the time. She told you to take the courses. <laughs> yeah. So, so she had at least tell, told you about it, but once you feel it, like I said, you know, even as a clinician, which I am not, but you, as a clinician, you have people that walk through your door. They're there because someone told them to go there for this reason. And they don't really know why or, or how, or what is being done to them. But the minute that you can sense that that expansion, if you will, and just really feel the power of of what we'll get into, I think that's really even as a patient uh, so powerful. And unfortunately, there's times that that doesn't happen. That people don't have that sensation. They don't feel what they're supposed to feel. You know, it's not necessarily the clinician that's not cueing them correctly, but they don't they just don't appreciate that sense until, until you have it. So that's such a big piece as far as, you know, I know, you know, working with athletes and anyone that is, as Neil said, um, you have these guys that are be all know all or these high level athletes, Olympic skiers that have been constantly for 28 years told by other professionals what and how they should feel things how they should do things you're doing this incorrectly or this incorrectly but then you have this kind of disorder if you will this sensation that you've never felt before and it's like okay I need to know more about this <laughs> when I think if if Jody had shown me the the handout for the exercise and not literally walked me through it, I might have been like, nah, what is yeah, that? Yeah. What, what are we doing? And everyone's different. But, you know, until, <laughs> like we said, until you, well, and I say that because some people literally need, like, you know, some people have to follow it to a T step by step in order to go through those progressions. 
But when you have someone like Jody, you know, telling you how to perform this technique, it goes a lot easier when you're just kind of sitting there feeling it, doing it. I'm not taking away from the instructions. I mean, only the pictures. Yeah. Without the instructions, just seeing, without knowing anything about the, the, the signs or anything, just seeing this. Yeah. Because I, you know, that I'm like, that just seems like everything we're trying to avoid. Yeah. Seeing this Schmeagel like position. Well, it's kind of like the artic recent article of, you know, that, that finally is getting kind of in the limelight about the hands on knees and the resting posture and tripod, uh, you know, these, these, uh, let's just call them PEC athletes that uh, don't necessarily appreciate positioning or posture. Like, what are you telling me to do? This is, you know, this is kind of like crazy. So such a powerful thing to actually sense it and feel it for the first time. Uh, you went back, signed up for Myokin home study. Um, and as we mentioned, you, I think you probably completed all three of the primary courses, like within three months, if not less. Yep. <laughs> um, and as you said, you're, you're traveling at the time. This was maybe during your kind of private clinical setting where you had some time yes. to finally sit down and, and, and complete these courses. Could you maybe just highlight, you know, not highlight, but mention the pros or cons? Did you, when was it that you finally attended a live course? You know, you took all the primary courses as home studies. You're kind of out there trying to implement it on your own. You had, you had meant, you know, you had Jody who knew a lot about the science, but what, uh, what was your first live course experience? Yeah. And I did have access to Jody at that point. She was in town. And so that was super helpful because we could, I could run things by her and say, Hey, I don't understand. What is this? Because as much as watching the videos and trying to like watch and practice on my husband, it was super helpful to have her help me and, and teach me. Uh, my first live study was in Las Vegas at the Cirque du Soleil training facility with James Anderson on I and I, I think I said that already. And that was my first um, exposure to James other than on the recording. It was awesome. And unfortunately there weren't circus performers running around in their makeup and costumes <laughs> as I anticipated. And there were no like trapezes or anything like that <laughs> yeah we had a few years that uh and we still you know uh, many of their groups still i think takes you know online courses or other courses but yeah we we were fortunate to host with Cirque du Soleil and I know James really enjoyed that opportunity as well but met some super cool individuals that are involved with Cirque so that was um, a really neat experience and just seeing James's passion and the way he is able to in, engage with the group and explain certain concepts and I'll just never forget like certain things he describes and like with yeah. his foot placements and things so that was that was fantastic. Well and other than so again you had Jody as a as a good resource nearby other than that um, as you progress through the courses and begin implementing some of the science and things like that when was it that you first considered you know possibly the desire to become credentialed or to go through uh, any credentialing through our institute. Um, I know, so for the listeners, your first course exposure and these home studies and then your impingement, that all happened kind of around 2014 into 2015, 2016. But for our listeners, you eventually went through the PRT credentialing um, in 2018, but, um, you know, let's just take a second here to kind of 
appreciate, if you will, what led you to that credentialing process, what, you know, at what point you felt ready to kind of apply for that? So, hmm, well, I reached out to Jen and I just sort of asked questions about it. It might've been a year prior to when I actually submitted. So I guess maybe that if I tested in 18, I would have submitted in 17, right? So maybe a year prior, just sort of ask some questions like, Hey, you know, I'm really, I'm considering this, but gosh, I don't feel anywhere. I mean, I feel like I need to practice for 20 years. Like what is, what is it? How long should you practice? And, you know, I've done the home studies, but maybe I need the live stuff, you know, just asking all these nerdy questions. Like I'm doubting myself and what should I do? And Jen, I mean, she is amazing. Anyone who's listening knows she is awesome. And she was great in problem solving with me and just kind of helping me to prepare or, or not, not writing the application for me, of course, but just talking me through like things that would help and the, to just sort of think about the application yeah. over time and keep what track to, of case studies. Right. And, and you know, take pictures uh, as you're doing it and, and things to think about, which was really helpful. And that, Hey, PS, by the way, it takes a long time to do. So don't start it, you know, two days the, before the it's week. Due, it's I think. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and that was just awesome. <laughs> And one of the things I talked to her about is I said, hey, look, you know, obviously I would be able to apply for the PRC and the PRT because I'm both an athletic trainer and a strength coach, you know, I have those credentials and I'm also a physical therapist and, but I'm looking at this and I, I don't really see a difference and I'm more, I'm in the performance area. Like that's where I, I function. That's where I work. And I think this is more interesting. Or, or really more appropriate for me. Additionally, finals week is right when the PRC is every year and I can't skip finals for my students. And is, is there really a difference? So I asked that question. And yeah, and, and like, you know, what, you know, at the time we get this question a lot and I know I talked about it, we talked about you with Neil, but for someone like yourself, uh, first of all, it doesn't, it doesn't happen just people like Jess Tidswell don't just walk through your door every day and say, you know, uh, I have both credentials and I don't really know which one's appropriate. But as you mentioned, for many reasons, uh, you were probably more uh, coinciding with the PRT process for X, Y, and Z. You worked with athletes for many years. You were in that setting. Timing worked out better. And of course, Jen helped walk you through that and say, yes, by all means, that's what's best for you. But I think, you know, people, as I mentioned with Neil, who helps out with the PRT process um, throughout the years, people always ask, you know, what are the differences? Why, why are they there X, Y, and Z? But maybe talk to our, our listeners and, and with us about really the credentialing itself. And once you got here and you submitted your application and, and you showed up for testing, the, the way I answer that question, Jess, is really the only big difference is the application of how you're going to be using the science and these techniques. So as I mentioned with Neil, the PRC process has more of the clinical um, application of these techniques, the practical assessment of how they're you know, performed. And really, if you had to, I know you haven't gone through the PRC, but if you had to talk about your experience with the PRT application and the, the actual process when you're here, 
the biggest difference is just really that application of how you're going to be using these techniques. So of course there's, you know, part of the testing is, is, is that piece and you spend some time, you know, being evaluated and, and also as a, you know, as part of that class going through that application of, of those concepts. But what did, you know, did the credentialing itself go differently than you imagined? You know, what did you gain from that? You know, we talked about it with Neil as really a, a learning. It's, it's not just a application and testing period, but really an educational opportunity for those that do go through it. But maybe just highlight, you know, kind of how that went for you and whether it was what you were expecting, not what you were expecting, but just once you were here, what that was like. Well, and obviously, I, as you mentioned, I haven't done the PRC process and I, you know, so I can't speak to that, but I, I would say one, perhaps one thing I'm envisioning is different is it's the difference of who's in the room with you. Yeah. Right. And so I, I mean, I don't know if this is lucky or not, but I feel like it was lucky. I had a group of four with me, I had, there was another athletic trainer and two strength and conditioning professionals. And so that right there is a performance group and we're working with athletes. And so just the discussion is going to be different than if you have a group of three other clinically based physical therapists or a chiropractor and an OT, right? That's, you're going to be seeing different type clientele. Yeah. Not that that that's going to be an equally as exciting and challenging discussion. It's just going to be a different clientele, right? So that in and of itself is very exciting. And we have, you know, uh, Neil was involved in our particular testing round. And so we had the head athletic trainer, performance director for the LA Dodgers. I mean, that's amazing. I had to hold myself back from fangirling. Uh, hi, Neil. So anyway, <laughs> I think, you know, that in and of itself, and this is, I mean, I'll, I'll second what Neil said. This is the most beneficial credentialing process I've ever gone through. And I have way too many initials after my name because you get to not only, yeah, you're tested on the material and everybody's nervous about that, but you, you're, you're not just tested on it. You're applying it. You're talking it through. You're figuring out how your colleagues in the room are using it in their facilities with their athletes or their clients and you're troubleshooting and you're, I didn't want to leave. I would have stayed for yeah. another week. Yeah. I, 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 it's, it's, it's a powerful you know, it's, it's, it, it's yeah. our favorite time of the year. Uh, we say that about a lot of things, about many courses, and, and obviously, you know, we love it all. But as you said, you know, I'm not sure if you've kept in touch with any of your classmates, but there's an opportunity to not only engage your own kind of con grasp of the concepts, but then also to take in how other people are comprehending it you leave, you know, you leave next to the people in your class saying they're going to use it this way. And in these settings, I'm using it within my own. And you have that opportunity to learn from each other, grow from each other. As you said, you were fortunate to have once in a while, our PRT classes are, you know, I would say slightly smaller and more in person than some of the larger PRC groups. But you know, the opportunity to just grow with each other and from each other. And as you said, you have Neil here who 
for those listening, you know, hopefully you're lucky to, to test possibly at a time where you have Neil or someone else, but it doesn't always happen that way where you have Neil, there's other people that help out and are involved, but that's kind of, you know, a resounding similarity between both processes is that really, you know, as I talk to people throughout our PRI family and throughout, you know, people that have gone through it, you go in it thinking that it's, you know, a credential, you're being tested. This is a process that, you know, it's difficult. There's this long application that we talked about, but really it's more of an educational opportunity than, than anything. Well, and so educational and you're spending time with Ron and you're spending time with Jen. Who is also an athletic trainer as well. So. Right. And you're just, I mean, the people, the creators of these manuals that you're reading who are just right, right there with you. I don't know of any other place that puts in so much time and effort. I mean, you just as an institute anyway, but I, I can't say enough good things about it because, you know, you're sitting there and you're like, wait, can you help me understand what this means? And you're, you sit and you talk with your colleagues, you say, this is what I think. And, and it was funny because I had some older manuals and we were comparing our manuals. Like, this is what mine looks like. Where'd yeah. you get that one? That's a little older. Oh, That's circa, circa day 2012. Or... Right. And then, and then, you know, Ron will have his and we're all, you know, sitting in, in the library and, and it's, yeah, it's. Well, and, and one of our biggest um, interests, and, and again, it's not like it's, it, it doesn't outweigh any other interests we have, but, but then how you guys as a class and as individuals take that opportunity and go apply it. So at this point, Jess, uh, again, you, you received your PRT in 2018. When you returned, you know, at the time, I think you were, you were in Salt Lake, you know, walk us through where your professional life was at at that time we'll get into kind of your role now as an assistant professor in the, um, you know, Department of Physical Therapy and Athletic Training and how you're now in a role of, of education and athletic training. But did you, you know, what was it like to go back and, and have that experience and then be able to kind of use the science now at this, at this new level you know, you learned and grew from that opportunity, but where were you at professionally when you returned? So professionally as in what was my role? Uh, yeah, kind of your role okay, within, yeah. you know, when we started this uh, discussion about credentialing, you were in a private setting. So right. I want to kind of connect your, 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 how you became re-involved with the university, I guess. Gotcha. So uh, in 2000, July 1st of 2015, I joined the faculty at the at University of Utah, my alma mater for athletic training. I became an assistant professor for, athlete, for the athletic training program and an athletic trainer physical therapist in the Department of Athletics, where my primary role being as a teacher and then working clinically uh, for athletics. So um, yeah, I, I returned to that. I was credentialed. And luckily, a little bit before my credentialing process, I had contacted the Institute because we had some graduate students who were 
graduate assistant athletic trainers and getting their uh, post-professional master's degree that were interested in the institute because they had this crazy professor that was just telling them they they it, this was life-changing stuff and that she really wished it wasn't 11 years into her career that she found it and that would they like to learn about it so i contacted jen and we worked on home some the home study course together that i could never teach, let's be honest, but facilitated with them. So um, I yeah. grew the posse out here. We called the PRI posse. I started growing my own posse so that I could share and have some more colleagues that understood it. Well, and that's kind of where I, you know, you, you kind of headed right where I was going. And again, I was kind of confused because you actually started this this process of incorporating home studies with your students prior to your credential, but around this, you know, before and then after and still today. But again, as a role, you know, in it, in the, you know, as an assistant professor and, and with these athletic training students, um, what was, you know, it's kind of like Jody Remmel with you, like telling you, telling you, telling you, you need to look into this. How, the, the cool thing about it, Jess, is, you know, we use this story quite often now for other universities and other, you know, assistant professors, or sometimes it's the students themselves that want to get together as a group. But what were some of the ways that that idea came about? You know, you have these students that you're trying to get interested, but at the same time, you're able to kind of work it in as, I believe, initially as an independent study, possibly. Mm -hmm. um, so how did how did that all kind of come about? Were you were you able to do that freely because of your role, you know, as their professor and as as faculty, you kind of just worked it into the semester. It worked pretty seamlessly, but were they interested or was that something more of like they had to do? So how my independent studies came about were so our, our master's students, they either have, they get credit hours if they have a thesis. So they have like thesis hours where they work on their thesis. And our master's students have a, have a choice. They can either do a thesis or a project. So they just have to do some type of research. So some of them choose to do a thesis and some choose to do a project. Um, that's just how it goes. And the ones that choose to do a project need a few more credits so they can sign up to take you know some other course that they're interested in or they can do independent study hours now when they sign up with me for independent study that turns into more of a class than a go and do whatever you take want this course and and whatever back. so my independent studies are not just go and read a book on your own and don't learn anything so mine turn into what i call guided independent study because we meet every week and we you know learn things do things and they they really this is more of a research, uh, they, they learn more about research here and then a lot of their, their experience is based on their GA ship, right? And working with teams. So the first independent study I had, there were two guys and they said, hey, we wanna learn about aquatics. So we did aquatics. And then the next year they said, well, we just wanna learn hands-on stuff. What are your ideas? And I said, well, well I've been I got, telling you. <laughs> I got an idea for you how about we learn about PRI? And so it started. And then they said, oh my gosh, you guys, you really, this is pretty cool. I think you should learn. And then they told the next GA class and the next, so not everybody, you know, some people wanted to do the, say the, the CSCS and yeah. or some people, so I would have multiple independent studies going at the same time, but 
those who, and I did describe it and what it was and how, and they'd see me using it in the, in the athletic training room, like, Jess, what are the, why are they blowing up a balloon again? What are you doing over there? But that's how we got it started. Well, and, and I think there for a while, whether it was that first GA class or maybe a few others, um, they were able to kind of progress throughout a few years, you know, they would take you. And again, we talked about this earlier, but you started initially with the pelvis restoration uh, course. And maybe I'll just let you kind of tell us why, because I think it's, it's really powerful because as you said, the reasoning behind it, but why did you choose pelvis for these initial independent studies versus maybe something that would be more applicable to, to them using it? So I, you know, I think, Typically people start with the myokinematic course and, but we chose to start, well, one year we chose to start with the pelvis course because we had a GA that came in from Oregon, no, Washington state. And he had had myokin before okay. up at Washington state. But I, if I have no people who've had no experience with it at all, I choose the pelvis course because it covers both the left AIC and the PEC because in our athletes, we tend to see both and so that they would be able to handle, diagnose, and, and intervene with both instead of just giving them one tool. Yeah. And even though it's maybe more challenging and I end up doing my best Lori. To fill in these gaps. My yeah. best Lori impression. Um, to, she's the one we watch the most, um, to try and explain it and go through it and get out my pelvis model to fill in some of the gaps. And then a couple times, maybe once or we got to do like one semester we do pelvis and the next we do myokin or I don't think we did. I can't recall, but I think it was probably those two, but yeah, yeah. um, it's, it's really a topic I wanted to bring up because as I told you earlier, we do have a handful of people, you know, outside of athletics in general that start with pelvis and most of the time they are happy they did. And just the same, the same thing can be said about the people that start with myokin or that start with postural. Most of the time they're happy they started with that one. Mm -hmm. um, but there's, there's always these situations, but as you mentioned, um, if you're doing an independent study with these graduate students and you, you might only get one shot at this with them, like that right. could be their only exposure. Uh, they may not ever complete the other two, or they may just take pelvis and that's their knowledge base of our science. So, you know, from my understanding, kind of what you mentioned, that's, that's kind of your biggest bang for, for the buck and the time because you're addressing, you know, both patterns and, and positions and, and how to incorporate it. And, and one thing I am crazy about is the breathing. And I, I just hammer that um, like crazy and teach, even when I see an athlete, I'm like, okay, we're going to learn how to breathe first. And they look at me like I'm nuts. Like, Jess, I've been, I'm 21 years old. I've been breathing just fine. And I said, no, we're going to deep, you know, we're going to learn how to inhale and exhale and do all this stuff. And so with the students, I do that as well. Now it, it's not the respiratory course or anything like that, but I really try to hit that home. For well, them. and, and I think maybe it works so well because of that, because they have you, they have you available throughout this independent study, um, as we mentioned, to kind of answer those questions and fill in these gaps of 
wait a second, what, what do you mean pelvic diaphragm or, you know, like, first of all, I have one diaphragm, you know, they come to up you here. and they're like, yeah, yeah it's, it's up here. <laughs> it's not down there, Jess. But, you know, I think that's really the benefit of this discussion. And I wanted to talk about it because there are other people in university settings, or as I mentioned, clinical groups, or just groups of people in general that, you know, if you're, if you're, opportunity exists that let's say you you can't make it to these live courses all the time or your schedule doesn't allow it or x y and z the power of doing it in a group setting and having like-minded you know other students around you i know you you didn't have that when you started off in our science with the home studies Um, now you're a part of it and i'm sure you can see the power of it but you know for anyone listening i think if you have individuals, I know you'll just reiterate this, but if you have a group of people that, you know, are able to sit down and I'm not sure, Jess, I think you guys might've watched it. They might've watched it individually and then you met back up um, as a group. So they, you know, we, they would be assigned, okay, we're going to watch this much of this video. And then we come into class in the classroom and I have my pelvis models and we ask questions and we would talk about it. Or if it was, you know, a, a, you know, we literally, I would make them watch the lab demonstration sessions from the live class. Right. And then we would come in and do lab on each other and do the techniques or do the, whatever techniques were talked about. And then we pick some other ones or do the tests on each other. And, and then if we'd rewatch something, if there was a question like, okay, well, what, what was said, let's rewatch it again, which worked really easily because, you know, typically an independent study class is going to be, you know, we have maybe an hour and a half of actually in class time. Yeah. It worked worked really well. Yeah. And I know, um, again, we, we use you and, and this discussion as an example, because, Obviously, you know, we talk about your education side of, of your daily life now and, and you're at home and everyone's trying to do remote learning and you as a professor are trying to figure out how do I get this material out to students and your your role has changed immensely. But even with our live streams that we offer now and will continue to offer and with the home studies and all these other online, you know, online courses, if you will. Uh, we're seeing a lot more, you know, positive reaction and and opportunity for clinics to get together. And, you know, as I said, for our live streams, we've had clinics that, you know, they sit down as a clinic and they get it up on a TV or up on a screen and all five or 10 of their staff are completing this course together around each other, bouncing ideas off each other. And again, you know, for people that didn't have that, such as yourself, when you started out, there's just such a big difference in receptivity and understanding and, and how you comprehend the knowledge when you do so with other people around you. Oh, absolutely. Uh, two of my colleagues and I just did the respiration course uh, probably a month ago. We watched it at home and then we got on Zoom um, every couple of days and we talked about what we were seeing, what we were learning. Yeah. We haven't been able and, and we're going to get to get whenever we can touch each other and get together um, we're going to practice the manual techniques and do some of those things and so that was amazing and i recently did the live stream i and i and cervical revolution and i saw exactly who you're talking about we had at least 
one group in each of those courses where they were the the quote panel as as yeah, Ron as, would call as them. He likes to call it, yeah. And there was a, a group of I think four and one and seven and the other and they're all sitting there together. And I think it, I mean it's awesome. It's awesome to have colleagues you can you can learn together with and and talk to. And and even if you don't, I mean I know that you guys are so open to us asking to try to fill that role, yeah. whatever questions we have, even if we're just like, I don't get it. Like, please yeah. explain this. Well, and it's, you know, as we, as we get closer to wrapping up here, it's really part of our, it's part of our times. And I know, as I mentioned, you're having to directly, you know, evolve because of it as a, as an assistant professor and trying to get your material out to your students you know, we all have to think about like, okay, how can we, not just PRI, but learning in general, how can we, you know, fulfill that in-person experience with all these limitations that we have? So we've tried our best to do that. And I know you guys as faculty and, and different people throughout the country that are in that role, you know, it, it's hard. And, and I commend you for having to again, we all have to evolve and figure out ways to kind of redo things that we didn't used to have to do. I'm not sure how that'll look for you and your students. You know, I know you, it's really cool. I saw on one of your emails or on, on your website that you guys have kind of like a virtual office or virtual office hours, but all these new discussions and new ways of doing things that, you know, are probably more likely here to stay for a while. Do you know, you know, as far as connecting with your students going forward, will you guys have time together as like a more of a whole class or will they just be watching on their own at home? You probably don't really know what that'll look like. But again, kind of just staying in touch and having as much in-person activity as you can while you're not in person. Yeah, so we we have one more final class of undergraduate students and there are 20 in that class and we have our first class of masters entry level master's students. They are in session right now, of course, online only and there are 10 students in that class and so as of right now we they are still planning on fall classes that start August 24th, but we are transitioning Right now we've sort of identified which classes need to meet in person and which don't. Athletic training courses, of course, um, really need to be hands-on in terms of when you're learning evaluative test and measure type techniques. With a class size of 10, we are able in our space to socially distance, to be 10 feet apart with one instructor, but of course no TAs or anything like that. Yeah. So we have kind of moved our classroom around and planned well, and for that. And then we have the, the other side of things to where if the actual athletics themselves aren't occurring, they can't get back and get their hands on in actual settings and with actual athletes. So mm -hmm. there's all these different factors and it's, it's really, uh, you know, it's, it's something that we'll see where we end up on the other side of it. But um, I just kind of wanted to get your two cents on it, if you will, and how it's been going at least throughout the summer, I know you've been doing a great job of staying connected and learning to, as you said, you're now a, a video producer, a videographer, an editor, and all these other things that you never wanted to be. Yeah, and you know, but we're, we're also 
preparing everything like we're going to be online. So we're just trying to stay ahead of it and do our, the best we can. One thing that folks pointed out to us is everyone is now a front row student. And yeah. that's something that we, you know, when, when you have students, you have the front row students and you have the back row students, but on Zoom or whatever platform you're using, everyone's now in the front row. Yeah, there are definitely yeah. positive so, things to come out of it. And I hope, you know, as you mentioned, taking those live streams, we've likewise tried to do our best to make sure that, you know, there is, again, we, we just got some reviews from a recent one and, and to hear that people still feel that they are answered or that they're connected to, that they have the ability to ask questions. Um, one thing that we've mentioned is that, you know, for many of our listeners that may not necessarily have the courage or the, the, you know, capability of raising their hand or speaking up in the middle of a live lecture, we're seeing more in at least the same amount, if not more uh, questions and activity from these courses than if you were in person, because as you mentioned, everyone is now the same front row student. You don't, you're not in a room, you're not in the back of a room, you're not forced to speak up in front of your peers. So there's definitely advantages. Obviously we all miss the in-person connection and, and learning. Um, but you're totally right. It's, it's opened up new discussions and given people opportunities that, that weren't previously there. Well, and honestly, the live streams are maybe a touch more accessible as much as I would love to be able to travel to wherever and, and get a hotel and a car and a plane and all these different things it's made it more accessible yeah. so I can do more courses and I would rather be in person and being able to do the, you know, the, the demonstrations and all of that stuff, but you guys doing what you're doing has made the stuff more accessible right now. Absolutely. I feel yeah. like yeah. Ron and Skip are right in front of me. Yeah. And it's, it's really cool when you sit back and, and even look at the, the work that you're having to do. Um, those students are at home wanting the same material that they would get in class. And, and you are there, you're in front of them, your faces, you know, we're talking today and yeah. uh, you know, these discussions that are still happening. So Jess, as we wrap up, you talked a little bit about your husband. You know, I, I talked to you, he, he's a helicopter pilot, but walk us through kind of what you're excited most about throughout the next couple months. Um, I know that's obviously returning to work, returning to, the university and getting back together with your students and your colleagues and in any way possible. We talked a little bit about your skiing history and your passion for skiing, but really just any other outside involvement. Uh, you mentioned you continue to work with what is now called the Paralympic uh, team, but what other kind of besides PRI and your involvement at the university excites you the most? Obviously, one of your biggest hobbies is skiing, but being in Salt Lake, it's it's great to keep an eye on you because you're always doing something different. And <laughs> But kind of mention anything, you know, outside of this discussion that excites you about about the months to come. Yeah, I mean, gosh, obviously staying safe and and keeping others around us safe like obviously there's so much unknown right now um we're we're lucky to live 
in a very beautiful part of the country where we can get outside and, um, you know, bike and hike and things like that. Who knows if we'll have a ski season, if we, if we're lucky enough to have one. Yeah. We love, we enjoy skiing. I, I enjoy photography. Um, you mentioned the Paralympics. Yeah, I work with the international Paralympic committee. I'm a, an Alpine skiing and snowboard classifier, which typically takes me somewhere in the world at least once a year. However, that has to we the americans have to be allowed to, allowed to travel outside the country yeah. so we'll see where that what happens you know fingers crossed but it's not about my travel it's about the safety and, and health of others at this point um but yeah we are are set to travel to michigan next week to watch um one of our very close friends get married um up in the upper peninsula where i've never been so awesome. i'm gonna drive out there and and stay safe and and go watch a, a wedding so that that's uh what we're looking forward to most and then getting back together with our students and colleagues um if and when we can yeah. in person or via video conferencing yeah yeah well and i think you know we can all relate to to that uh we have a, a wedding coming up here for for one of our pri staff hannah's getting married this wet this uh summer and to just to just find something about you know these summer months or fall or whenever i think it's important for people to find that balance and say you know even if they're not in a location such as yourself i talk to people in new york and neil in la and people are limited by what they can do and to just say you know what i may not have x y or z occurring but i still have this wedding coming up or i still have maybe it's a weekend trip to just get out of the city or out of the house to just go right. take a walk. Um, yep. You know, there's, there's always, there's, there's definitely beauty still occurring around us. And, and as we mentioned, in some regards, new experiences and, and new things waiting that we never would be doing. So. A- absolutely. And I'm absolutely. sure you're, you're going to be get, getting back to your online class prep after this discussion, which you never, ever wanted to be doing but maybe Heck you'll yeah. find- <laughs> I'm going back to the other room to talk to myself some more yeah. so it's nice to talk to you today instead of to myself yeah. well Jess I really uh, appreciate you being on I know um, like I said earlier there's not very many people as as um, varied if you will as you you have <laughs> so many various roles with athletics and education and and your own educational history it's really an honor for us to, to, to have you as a, as a peer and as a colleague and friend. And I think people can, can learn a lot about, you know, your story and, and just how they fit within our science may not be typical. You know, we were so excited to have you go through that PRT process as a DPT and an athletic trainer. And I think it's really powerful for people to understand that, as Neil mentions, there's no, there's no box around you. There's no one way that it has to be done. And, and you're the embodiment of that. So thanks again for joining us. And we'll look forward to seeing you get back to, to your athletes and your students. And, you know, we hope that's as soon as possible, but we hope, you know, it, it obviously has to be done safely. So. Well, thanks so much for having me. It's really my honor. And I'll just second that there is no right fit, but everybody can fit in the PRI nation. And it's a wonderful family to be a part of. And I stress family.
Yeah, that's that's uh, how we consider it, and I know I know you've seen that and feel a part of that. And and again, we're so lucky to have you. So thanks for joining us today, Jess, and and have a safe and and happy and successful uh, filming with the rest of your your <laughs> online education. So, well, hopefully it'll go as well as this, RJ. <laughs> Thanks again. If you're interested in learning more about the Postural Restoration Institute, you can visit our website at posturalrestoration.com. You can also email me directly at info at posturalrestoration.com or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter to see how PRI Nation is currently applying this science. As always, thank you for listening, and I look forward to having you on our next episode.